We're working our way through the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, so we get a sense of the flow of these stories. We're up to chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I wonder if you would join me in a word of prayer before we begin. Gracious God, may your Holy Spirit work with our spirits that we might be alive and alert to how you are speaking to us this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be as a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, ministers are always interested in different translations of the Bible. I think you have to engage the Bible in different ways to, to really grasp what it means, and sometimes you have to really dive in in different ways. I knew a missionary once that uh, one of my churches supported. He moved to Africa where he was seeking to translate a Bible into the language of this small tribe there. 
He had to live among them for 10 years before he could even begin to translate because he had to not only learn the language, but to learn the nuance of the language, the idioms, the metaphors, to really understand how to translate the Bible for this particular people. I never lived in Africa. However, I did spend seven years living in Nashville. <clears throat> Took me a while to understand the culture, to learn the language. Down there, truck is a three-syllable word. <clears throat> and a knit stocking cap, that's a toboggan. Taking a nap is being laid up. And then there's the contractions like mayonnaise, as in mayonnaise, a lot of people here tonight. <clears throat> but one word I couldn't figure out, even though it was all over the place, and that was the word bubba. You see Bubba's Tire Store, Bubba's Country Store, Bubba's Bait and Tackle, Bubba's Worms, Catch You a Fish or Die Trying. One man in the newspaper story had always been called Bubba, so he legally asked the court to change his name to Bubba. And when the judge asked, what do you want for a middle name? He said, well, Bubba. And then he said, well, what about your last name? He said, Bubba. Now that's a true story, Bubba, Bubba, Bubba. Finally, I asked my friend, what's a Bubba? And she said, well, Bubba means brother. And all of a sudden I realized that I should begin a translation, a new translation of the Bible written in the idiom of the American South. And it should start out with, am I my Bubba's keeper? <clears throat> you see the image of family is written all over the Bible. Family and all their complex relationships. Now you can find stories about family that lives in easy harmony and love and affirmation, and those stories you'll find in fairy tales. But in real life, it's more like in the Bible, where there's struggles. Some scholar captured an image of the Bible, uh, family in the Bible, with the book, The Prostitute and the Family Tree. Because families always have these, these stories that are somewhat scandalous. The Bible doesn't pull any punches about difficult family dynamics. Remember the story of Joseph and his jealous older brothers. Or King David and his jealous and power-hungry sons or Jacob trying to trick his brother out of his inheritance. All over the place, the Bible makes sense to us because it is an image of families that struggle with one another. And that is an image of the human race. But nowhere is the story of family more blatantly painful than in the story of Cain and Abel. Now you would think, as the story writes it, there's only Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel on earth. You would think these two would get along because there's nobody else to play with. But they couldn't. One grows up to be a farmer, Cain the farmer. He raises, what, beets, potatoes, arugula, zucchini, broccoli. Abel raises sheep, big, fat sheep. They both Bring their gifts to the altar to give a gift to God. The scripture says, Abel brought the first fruit of his flock. You get the picture of Abel being so grateful for everything that he had. 
He took this year's biggest, fattest sheep, and remember, these are free-range, non-GMO sheep, right? Had him butchered and brought home. He slathered it with olive oil, powdered it with spices and garlic, and slow-roasted it for hours, and brought these racks of, of lamb hot from the oven and placed them at the altar of the Lord. It is an act of overflowing gratitude. Cain, it says, yeah, he brought an offering. Doesn't say first fruits. The implication, and the stewardship committee might notice this, the implication, it's not the first fruits. It's something begrudging that he did. I mean, five zucchini, three beets, and a half a pound of broccoli. God looks at the two gifts. The implication is that their attitude is going to lead to action. And God looks at the attitude of Abel and sees the gratitude that he brings to life. Cain. Cain sees how his brother's gift brings a smile to God's face, and it changes, Cain, it changes Cain's face. He twists his face into a frown of rage. You get the idea, he's thinking, you're God, you're supposed to love us all equally. But Abel's gift comes out of that heart of gratitude. And Cain's gift is more of a begrudging drop in the bucket. It implies that God knows attitudes lead to action. Why was Cain so guilty? Was it his, or so angry? Was it his guilt? Was it this competition that he really saw in the heart of his relationship with his brother? Or did it reflect what was in his heart all along? God looked at his face and knows what's going on. And God gives him advice. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But beware. Sin is crouching at your door. Crouching at your door. It's something external, but it's there, and it's ready to eat you up. The resentment, the jealousy, the guilt. And it says, you may master it. You must master it. John Steinbeck, in his marvelous novel, East of Eden, took this passage and played with it because he noticed those differences between may master it and must master it. Steinbeck writes, quote, the easy out is laziness, out of weakness, throwing oneself into the lap of the deity saying, I couldn't help myself, the way was set. But Steinbeck writes, the glory is the choice that's what makes a man a man, a person a person. He writes, this is a ladder to climb the stars. It cuts the feet out from under weakness and cowardice and laziness. To have new love for that glittering instrument, the human soul. Bring your soul to what you give to God. Sin is crouching at your door, but you can master it. Sin, something external, but something that can eat us up, devour us, and tear us apart from those whom we ought to love. It does not have to be that way. The animal crouching at the door can be tamed when we take responsibility for our lives. 
This is an invitation, a promise, and a challenge to take responsibility for our lives. The question in the story, as Cain puts it, am I my brother's keeper, as if his brother were an animal? Am I my brother's keeper? No. You are your brother's brother. Act like it. You are your sister's sister. You are part of the human race, and this is a family affair. You are in relationship with one another. Act like it. Take responsibility for it. And remember, remember, as you are in relationship with the people around you, your brothers and sisters, that you are not alone, just the two of you. But God is present. God is present and always caring about how we relate with one another. When we fail, the story calls out in this for vengeance. But the good news is, Cain is not killed. Even here, when he absolutely deserves to be wiped off the face of the earth, God says no. Because God is love. And God relentlessly cares about each and every one of us. God will not let go even of this unreconciled one because God's will is for life on earth. That's good news. Sometimes people think the Old Testament doesn't have any grace, but right here it begins with God's grace. The question is, how have we treated our brothers? Have we treated the brother as brother, the sister as sister? You can think about this on an individual level, and I mean this is a story that is there to, to, to haunt us again and again, to help us think about ourselves and who we are and who we're becoming by our attitudes and our relations to our brothers and sisters in our families, in our, in our churches, and in, in our world. You can think about this on an individual level. You can think about it on a social level in terms of racism and sexism. And, 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 and you can think about this story in relationship to Ukraine. Are we treating brothers as brothers and sisters as sisters? Or are we wanting to forget that they're out there in pain? This is a question of the human family, as well as our own families. And it's a question of the family of faith. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? No, you're my brother's brother your sisters, sisters, your family, you belong together. I've been blessed to be uh, part of a great many churches, but the place where I got started uh, was as an assistant pastor and then as an associate pastor at Westminster Church in Peoria, Illinois. On the way to college, I used to drive through Peoria and, and ask, who would ever live in a place like this? And I discovered... I would. <laughs> well, I'd been there for a couple years. It was a wonderful place. We had great debates, lots of tension at different times, because we're, we're, we're on the, the edge of a, of a university, Bradley University, and so we've got questions coming out of there. We've, we're, we're, we're on this, this row of Moss Avenue of all these uh, wealthy houses, and, and what's our place with our, our wealth, and how we use that there, and, and we're on a bluff that looked down, I mean, literally look 
down over the, 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 the poverty area where Richard Pryor was born. What's our relationship to poverty? We had all these wonderful debates and sometimes tension in the congregation. But we came together in worship in this cavernous church, this beautiful place, with a bright rose window at the, at the center in front of the sanctuary. It, it was primarily cold, color was gold, and it was so optimistic and, and, and joyful to be in that place. Uh, <clears throat> and then deep uh, into January, on one of those 20-degree below zero nights, uh, a spark happened somewhere in the basement. And this 80-year-old cathedral of a place went up in flames. The fire departments poured water on it all night, but nothing could be done. In the sub-zero temperatures by morning, it looked like a scene from Dr. Zhivago with ice sculptures formed all over the charred beams of the sanctuary. And as I stood across the street with all these people from the congregation who gathered in relative silence, watching the smoke and the flames and the water turning to ice, I had this urge. I mean, I had this driving urge to take my shoes off because I realized the ground I was standing on was holy ground. And, and, and the, the, the church was burned up. But at the same time, the church had never been touched because the church was standing all around me with tears in their eyes. Like the burning bush, it was holy ground. And you felt it. And, and I had such, profound, such a profound sense of how dear these people were to me and how dear they were to each other. There are moments of great loss that make you realize what is most important in the world. The church gathered <clears throat> the next night in the youth building, which was across the street. We were all traumatized, but so glad to be together, to be with each other. We prayed the senior pastor read the scripture and spoke. When it came time to close, we wanted to sing. But the hymnals were, had all gone up in smoke. Someone made a suggestion, the pianist started to play. And we were surprised that almost everyone seemed to know the first verse. And we sang, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Being with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this moment where there's a bit of heaven when we really see each other. Cain had to be punished. You might say Cain heaped punishment on himself because he was never going to have the joy of his brother's presence again. And so he wandered, the scripture says, he wandered never at home. I understand why God did not blot Cain out from the face of the earth. 
Because God is love, and everyone, everyone, everyone is loved by God, and God never stops trying to redeem us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I like to think, I like to think that Cain, in all his wandering, finally understood what that love meant. And I like to think that we will too. And remember and always treat one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Amen.